1: People tend to equate the creation of words with ingenuity and hard work. If you think really, really hard, you set your mind to it, and you come up with a great idea for a word, especially if the word for which is a need in the language, one day your special creation can grow up and be in a real dictionary.
0: Coming up on Word Matters, how William Shakespeare influenced the English language. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is a new podcast from Merriam-Webster, produced in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Ammon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Ah, the immortal bard. No discussion of classic English literature is complete without mentioning William Shakespeare. His influence is undeniable, but did Shakespeare actually invent the thousands of words often credited to him? Here's Amon Shea with the real story of Shakespeare's creations.
1: One of the most, if not the most, beloved writers in English is, of course, William Shakespeare. And one of the things that people love to know about him, so to speak, is that he single-handedly created an enormous portion of the English language, and the only problem with this, of course, is that it is not at all true.
2: But you're uh, telling me he didn't coin all those words?
1: No, Shakespeare did not coin all those words. Before we can say he coined all those words, we would have to kind of establish a number of other things, mm-hmm. such as what is a word, and what does it mean <laughs> to coin a word, and what does it mean to be a Shakespeare? I think one of the things that's interesting about this question of why so many of us have come to believe that William Shakespeare created 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 words, whatever the number is, It's an interesting question because I think it comes up for a number of reasons, and I think one of them is that people tend to equate the creation of words with ingenuity and hard work. If you think really, really hard, you set your mind to it, and you come up with a great idea for a word, especially if the word for which is a need in the language... One day your special creation can grow up and be in a real dictionary.
3: It's like building a barn
2: or right, something. Like, you know,
1: yeah. You're proud of it once it's done. Or thinking you can invent something just right. by coming up with a really good
2: idea. Well, I think that's part of this because Shakespeare is considered the great genius of literature. And this is really about the inspiration of genius, isn't it? Right. Except know, creating that, language, creating words.
1: Right. Except this is, of course, not really how language works. No,
3: exactly.
2: No. And there's <laughs> no
1: like, genius behind it. One of the other reasons I think that there's been a great amount of confusion about this is due to a misinterpretation about how dictionaries in general work in one dictionary in particular. And that dictionary, of course, is the mighty Oxford English Dictionary. And the OED, as we call it, is different from a lot of other dictionaries in that it's diachronic. It's historic. Rather than looking at a little slice of the language in a specific time, it's looking at the breadth of the English language.
2: Diachronic, the Greek meaning across time. Should we
0: also just interject here that you, Ammon, wrote a book about reading the entire Oxford English Dictionary in one year?
1: I did do that. and So I came across, I've read a lot of Shakespeare yes. through that in, in kind of chopped up fashion. Because the Oxford English Dictionary is a historical dictionary, they attempt to show the way the language was used across the ages by providing citations of use. And they have millions and millions of citations. And this is one of the great joys of their is It's so thoroughly suffused with the meat and bones of our language of particular importance to the editors working on the OED has been to show, as much as possible, the earliest recorded use of every word and every sense of every word. However, we should note that the earliest recorded use of a word is not actually the same thing as the invention of a word. And that's the real sticking point for many people. One of these reasons why this is so is because the spoken use of a word tends to come
2: before the written use of a word. And if that was in 1550, we don't have a good record of it.
1: I do think that in the digital age that we're kind of flipping that on its head. I think we're getting more and more cases where the written use of a word, like LOL, Mm -hmm. was probably written Mm -hmm. before it was spoken. Mm -hmm. So I think we're undergoing a period of change. But certainly for Shakespeare's time, things were spoken more often before they were written. But another thing is that it's very difficult to tell when a word has been invented because most writers don't announce, here is a word which I have hewn from the granite (laughs) of my soul and I am now bequeathing to the English-speaking people. When they come up with a new word, and I'm willing to bet that many people who are, in fact, inventing a word don't even realize that they're inventing it. They're just writing some stuff now, and that looks like a word. It looks like a word to me. It looks like a word to you. And the editor says, yeah, sure, I understand what you're talking about. It must be a word. And there you go. But when the first edition of the OVD was completed in 1928, people noticed that Shakespeare was the name associated with the first known use of a large number of words, thousands of words, more than any other single author except for Chaucer. And Charlotte Brewer at the University of Oxford has suggested the reason that Chaucer was so heavily cited for earliest known uses of words is because his works were heavily overrepresented in the Mm. time period that he was writing.
2: Mm -hmm. Of course. It's a smaller corpus, as it were. There aren't that many books that were printed in the 15th century. The 14th 14th century. And
1: this is similar to what happens with Shakespeare. Because one of the things that was really fascinating about the OED is that it's often been referred to as the great first example of crowdsourcing. They sent out thousands of requests for volunteer readers because they were too busy writing the dictionary. They didn't have time to read all the books. So to
2: make it clear, so the public would read a book and then notice funny or interesting or new or old words or just
1: representative representative
2: words of a given author and then mail them to the dictionary editors so they would have that evidence to put in the dictionary.
1: Right. So they ended up storing all of these in what was known as the scriptorium, a a kind of metal shed set half into the ground where James Murray, the editor-in-chief, worked, and there were millions and millions of slips of paper it was wonderfully organized and disorganized I think, <laughs> at the same time. But one of the problems is that if you're a volunteer reader, would you rather read William Shakespeare or would you rather read like an inventory of a dry goods merchant? <laughs> Most people would go for Shakespeare. And so okay, he was really overrepresented, certainly much more than the inventory writers, but he was also read a lot more than say Thomas Nash or Thomas mm-hmm. Decker, mm-hmm. his kind contemporaries. Before we get into the question of did he invent these words? Again, what does it mean to say somebody has invented a word? We at Merriam-Webster often have people writing us, how do I get a word into the dictionary? Sure. I've invented a word. And what does that mean? So, for instance, Shakespeare was the first person that we know of to have used the word alikoli, A-L-L-I-C-H-O-L-L-Y. And the OED lists it as the first person to use it as a noun, and it's the first person to use it as an adjective. So... Do we say that he's invented two words? Mm. Has he invented mm-hmm. one word? Also, alacali is actually just a play on words on melancholy. And mm. melancholy had been around for hundreds of years. So did he invent alacali or is it just him being playful? And then on top you of that— You can be
0: playful and invent a word.
1: Right, you okay. can. But Thomas Decker used a very similar pun, melancholy, almost identical to the one that Shakespeare used, about 12 years before Shakespeare used it. But there's no record of Thomas Decker using that word because there's no entry for melancholy. I'm the thinking OED. about
3: how so many of the words that people say they do invent are usually portmanteaus of that idea. It's, it's like taking two known parts of pre-existing words, coming up with some concept that might fit how they were feeling that day or whatever. I wish then, there was
2: a word for like a combination of lunch and dinner.
3: Right. or Or sad and happy or <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. like that. And so they say, oh, I've invented this word shappy. You understand that they've sent this to us with the idea that we are going to recognize both those parts and then already know what is going to be meant even without having the word in any kind of context.
1: Right. Shakespeare did a lot of that. He was also very good at compounding. So he'd be one of the first to use bone weary or something like that. Mm. But these are just two distinct words that he's using in conjunction. And over time, as we know, open compounds tend to become hyphenated and then become closed Mm -hmm. compounds. And so a lot of the words that we think of he using for the first time were just two words that he used together and they became fixed, in part because he had this great, great influence as a writer. But a lot of the other words for which he's listed as providing the first evidence, they're really just what we call functional shift, and functional Mm -hmm. shift is when a word takes on a new part of speech. So, for instance, Shakespeare is listed as the first person to use the word monster as a verb, to turn into a monster, I'll monster you. But monster had been in use for 200 years already. So did Shakespeare invent the word monster? I don't think we would say that. Nobody's writing to us and saying, I've used perspicacious as a verb. Did mm. I invent a word? Yes. No. Mm. You just think you kind of changed the part of speech. And then a lot of the other words for which he's given the first known evidence, he's just spelling it in a slightly different way. So for instance, there's an entry in the OED for fascinorius, which means extremely wicked which he was the first one to use Facinorius. that we've seen. But Fasinorius, without the second eye, was already in use for about 50 years.
2: And And spelling variants were common at a time when I think Shakespeare spelled his own name four or five different ways. I think it was up to seven. (laughs) (laughs) But the point being, spelling variants were common especially because there was no dictionary. There wasn't a standard.
1: Right. And one of the things that I think must be really irritating to the editors at the OED is that they have never said Shakespeare invented X number of words. They're much too smart to say that because they know better than anyone else that the number of words for which he is attributable as the first author, it's diminishing every year because Mm -hmm. they're currently editing the whole dictionary. So we've gone down from several thousand in 1928 to by 2014, when I first checked, it was down to about 1,590 words for which he was listed as the first author. That's now down to about 1,472.
0: Do you have any words that we are certain that he coined?
1: I can't, quite honestly. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but it's impossible to say because we routinely see other authors being playful with language, are compounding, are using affixes in an inventive way. And we routinely see that other authors like Thomas Nash or Thomas Decker Have done this before him and are not recognized for it. So I would say that anything which we think of Shakespeare having invented, it's possible that he did not. And it's possible that he did. What I would say is, it has been found is that I think more so than most, certainly, and more so perhaps than any other writer, is that he was extraordinarily playful in his uses. So it's not just that there were several thousand words for which he had the first recorded use in the Oxford English Dictionary. There were, I think, at 1.6,000 senses for which he had the first <laughs> recorded use. So what he was doing much more than anybody else was kind of stretching the semantic content of the words he was using. He was pushing words. He was making them do what he wanted. He was using them in very, very playful, ludic
0: ways. I still love writers who do that. I, there's nothing like the pleasure of reading someone who is writing creatively and who is pushing words into new territories and people whose business it is to write, some of them are drawn to do this for their own pleasure. And
1: some of them are inventing language. And I'm sure that some of the words that Shakespeare used, he was inventing, or he was as far as he knew inventing.
2: And I also think there's something about English and that moment around 1600 that was expanding constantly. I mean, that was a period of great expansion in the language there's almost an aesthetic of expansion, of growth, that Shakespeare was inventing words left and right. I say that because what I studied was the French literature of that period and, and a little bit after, and the great French playwright Moliere, for example, but the others who all together could be considered sort of the French Shakespeare, Cornet and Racine and Moliere. Their highest aesthetic goal was to use as few different words as possible. In the context of a single play, because that was this neoclassical ideal that if you really wrote clearly, then you didn't need all these extra words, as opposed to this explosive growth that happens in Shakespeare. I just think it's a fascinating contrast. He was clearly someone who was at play in language. He was having a ball. That's why we love him.
1: It's such a kind of perfect reason to love his language use. And to me, it seems so at odds with this desire to quantify yeah. something which is so unknowable. Like, why do we care how many words he invented? That, that well, I think nothing... people
2: look at a dictionary as measuring something in an almost mathematical way, which, of course, that's not the way language works. Sure. It's kind of an anti-math. Yeah. We should also think about the
3: fact that, at least in terms of the plays, Shakespeare was writing words with the intent of other people speaking them. Mm. Apart from the directions, the quotes were supposed to be lines that other people were then assigned to speak. And that was how many people were going to encounter the words were going to be spoken by actors, not being written in a folio. So they'd
2: have to be understood, both have by to the actors. understood,
3: pronounced, heard, and then remembered. Printed word, you get to go back to it and then kind of think back to what the author was intending by a meaning. You have to remember what was spoken when you see a play. I do think there's something in the equation that needs to be credited, I guess when we think of how Shakespeare wrote, what words he chose to use, why he chose to use them,
2: because of the theatrical context is a uh, the theatrical yeah. context well what's interesting is you, what you're saying is that also that means he assumed the audience would understand them, yeah. And I think that's interesting. You know, Emin, you bring up this issue of how many words, if you're measuring such a thing, how many words does Shakespeare coin? Or for really the technical thing that you're saying is how many words for which Shakespeare is the first known quoted author in the Oxford English Dictionary. And I was just looking at an exact contemporary of Shakespeare, John Florio, who was not a playwright. He was a translator and he was a lexicographer. So he translated Montaigne's essays, but he also wrote one of the best-known bilingual dictionaries, the Italian-English bilingual dictionary of the Elizabethan era. And he's cited as the first use of 1,200 words in the Oxford English Dictionary. And what's interesting to me about that is that they were almost all taken from his very early dictionary, right around 1600. And it's interesting, too, because that means a lot of those words we have to assume were not expected to be easy to understand because at that time, lexicographers were usually choosing words that seemed hard or difficult or uncommon and putting them in their dictionaries.
1: One of the things that's interesting, though, about when you look at data like this and you see well, when, if you look at the years, when there were enormous spikes Mm. in new words in the Oxford English Dictionary, it tends to represent canonical texts rather than technological jobs. So, for instance, the year that the Tyndale Bible was published, say, 1533, you have an enormous spike because all these new words are really being read and coming in. 1755, Samuel yep. Johnson's dictionary. Yep. There are all these years where you have these giant jumps. There was no great technological so, or, or linguistic invention aside of right. Samuel Johnson's So they're not
2: taking here. a census of the language in the way that we can with a modern electronic corpus today if we have a well-balanced grouping of contemporary writing because if going back your point is a good one it's only the great writers who got published and got republished and got read and taught and they're the ones that we are, are studying but well, not
1: only and i will say that the oed and the editors there have done a really magnificent job of trawling through the kind of seas of unpublished writing mm. and and they do a great amount of really hardcore in-depth research into things like handwritten manifests from mm. ship's logs and things like that you know They'll look at the Council of the Privy back in the Elizabethan times, and they'll read the lists of what linens were taken out of some storage (laughs) chest. And they're getting great information from that. However, that's not where all their, say, volunteer readers were focusing their efforts. And so you will get these kind of imbalances. And it shows with somebody like Shakespeare. And I do want to stress once again that the OED has never claimed to say this is the number of words any given author has invented. They've been interpreted that way. And I think if we want to give a kind of fittingly exact number of how many words did Shakespeare invent, we could say it was probably a not inconsiderable number. <laughs> and that's about as exact as we can get.
3: I do think it's worth maybe mentioning something here about how this sort of identifies one of the paradoxes of the lexicographer, which is that we seek words to define that are not currently defined in the dictionary. We look for usages. We make citations of those usages. We define based on those usages. But quite often, by the time we have noticed the word, it is well past its newness, at least in terms of the birth of the word, in terms of the planting of that evidence. So there's this scraping back that has to be done. And there are people on our staff whose jobs is to do that. Mm. Once the word has been noticed, to then scrape back and then look at all the times it was ignored up to that point. <laughs> it never came across our desks. It never came across our consciousnesses. It just was there, but we never saw it. And then we have to go back and then look to all the times we just passed over it or it never came to us to find out when the evidence of first use was. It's kind of like if we were perfect humans who heard and picked up everything, mm-hmm. we wouldn't need to do that.
0: But in our defense, we're not trying to enter a word as soon as it's first uttered. That is, that is we true. We're entering the words that are established in the language. So that is true. I, we don't need to hear every word's first utterance, but we are committed to providing a date of the word's first known mm. published use or first known print use. And that is what we then have to look back and research and uncover.
3: Right. We wouldn't certainly wouldn't enter and define a word the first time we heard it. But <laughs> no. if we heard it that first time, we would certainly want to make a note of it, yes. I think, for the possibility of then needing to pay attention to it later. Of course, sometimes we also know there's also another paradox, which is that a lot of new words just then never get used again, and then
1: there's no point really. Thomas Decker has been complaining about malacholi for like 400 (laughs) and something years
0: now. Thomas Decker.
2: And you're getting to the real root of this, which is that we haven't said out loud, which is that we need this evidence. We have to have evidence of the word's use before it goes into the dictionary. And that's the premise of all of our work, and certainly the premise of the colleagues we have at the Oxford English Dictionary.
0: Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Neil Servan, Ammon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.